Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of I Like to Read with me, your host, Rachel Polanski. Long time no talk slash long time no record. Once again, apologies for the sort of scattered uploading schedule. Trying our best to do like once every week. Maybe it's every other week. I'm also trying my best to record every week. However, sometimes life gets in the way in the case of this episode, which I'm now recording Uh, It's been two weeks since I recorded the last episode, and this may be coming out, I don't know, time doesn't matter, who cares. But I was recently um, in Las Vegas for four days. I went with my boyfriend Jason slash producer Jason, and we had a great time, and it was really fun just to, like, get away. Definitely not, like, a real big gambler or drinker, but still managed to have late nights and managed to have some fun. Um, before that, I was dealing with a pretty nasty cold. Fortunately, it was not COVID. Um, did multiple tests and assured that, and if you've been following me for a long time, you know that I did actually have COVID last year. Fortunately, it was a mild case, but... This is not a political podcast, but make sure you're vaccinated if you're not already, because, like, why would you not? And um, it was kind of getting to the down to the wire. I was, like, a week almost of not feeling great. And I was like, you know, even though it's not COVID, like, my nose was pretty runny. My throat was nasty. So I kept trying to record. I had five books planned. Um, didn't get a chance to do it just mostly because my energy level and I really just like didn't sound great. And even though these are not the longest episodes in the world, just wanted to make sure y'all get the best quality audio that you can at the time and the moment. So I am recording now. Um, so this is going to include some books that I read prior to the Vegas trip. I actually only read like one and a half books during the Vegas trip because it was a vacation and it was definitely good to get away. But despite the, you know, we needed to definitely sleep eight or nine hours, which meant most days we slept to like 11 or maybe 11.30 even, didn't really get our day started till one. Um, we were out and about, you know, on the strip and doing various things. And, you know, there was very little time to read, even though ABYK, always bring your Kindle, I brought it everywhere um, and try to sneak in some reading moments, um, you know, want to live in the moment and be present and social as much as I could. So I did not get a much chance to read. However, I'm back. I'm back to my reading, back to my nights of hours of uninterrupted reading. So I've sprinkled in some books that I read before Vegas and had a chance um, to, didn't have a chance to talk about. So forgive me if I'm a little fuzzier on some of those details than normal. And then some books that I've just read recently. Before we get into the books, what I know you're all waiting for, um, I wanted to do an I Like to Watch corner. Um, Some shows that I've been digging and loving recently. The first one is On the Verge on Netflix, which I am surprised that so many more people are not talking about because it's freaking really good. Um, the it's created and written by Julie Delpy, who is most notably um, known, f- most notably known for um, the Before Sunrise trilogy, which I guiltily, admittedly, have not watched. It's definitely on my list. I know it's amazing. I love Ethan Hawke. Um, this also stars Elizabeth Shue, who you may know from The Boys on Amazon more recently, or you know, Adventures in Babysitting. Um, she was in Say Anything, I believe. She was the love interest. Lots of things, um, and it's just about four women in their mid-40s living in Los Angeles. And I, you know, on the surface, it sounds like sort of a sex in the city, just sort of like, you know, women who are moms and struggling also to be women and struggling with their identities. Um, Needless to say, though, they each have sort of these like very believable, but still like wacky and out of the norm of what you'd expect from their first image plot lines that all work really well as an ensemble. And so that was really fun. Um, There's like 12 episodes in the first season, so a very meaty look into their lives. I really love that one. For some more comedies, more comedy lighter shows, um, I believe the second season just ended of the other two. I was obsessed with the show when it came out last year. I thought it was one of the funniest shows ever. I still think the writing and it's one of the best 
The Comedic Timing is one of the best well-written, the one of the best written shows, I think, out there. I do think the one difference with this season is it definitely decided to play a little bit more into the, not so much the drama, but sort of the heart and get a little bit more serious while being silly, whereas I think the first season was definitely steeped more in the silliness. Um, so check it out if you haven't already. It's now moved to HBO Max, so it's definitely more accessible for people. I think it's one of Molly Shannon's best roles. You know, give yourself a pat on the back. And for other favorite comedies, speaking of little vampires, um, did a lot of midway games and spent um, a couple hours longing and finally giving up hope, thinking I was never going to get a Halloween Squishmallow because Circus Circus Casino had these. And we went through many games and horse races and a switch at the Adventure Dome, got my little vampire tally Squishmallow. Speaking of vampires, been loving what we do in the shadows on its third season now, just continues to be the perfect mix of like what would happen if these old historic vampires lived in present day Staten Island and tried their best to connect with the modern day world. Who knows? Um, and the last one that I want to talk about, there's so many more TV shows that I have on my list. And it's like the second that I finish something, there's like three other shows coming out and I'm overwhelmed and I have plenty of time to watch TV. So how do people who don't have any time watch TV and make time? And I don't know. It's just, it's crazy. Speaking of crazy, <laughs> the last show is called Lula Rich. It is a four part documentary series on Amazon. I'm sure if you're into true crime or MLMs or anything, you're familiar with the Lula Rich company or sorry, the Lula Row company, which was intended to give women a outset to sell and make money um, by selling these pretty hideous leggings and maxi skirts, um, but was really just a multi-level marketing scheme. And so this documentary picks apart and exposes it. And while, you know, there's not necessarily any murders or anything, um, you know, rape or sexual violence or anything like that, it is pretty dark and disturbing when you look at it, despite it being a lighter themed thing with how many of these women and just people were sucked into this industry and how many lives they have kind of ruined and um, and or sort of taken over. And it is really fascinating um, and just well done. So check that out on Amazon. But you're probably not here for shows. But if you are, let me know what you've been watching because I already have a million TV shows on my list. So we might as well add more, right? Um, <laughs> and the first book that I am going to talk about is The Night She Disappeared by Lisa Jewell. Lisa Jewell is a true, true words, it's been a while, clearly, um, is a British, I, I, want, I always want to say true crime when it's fictional, but it's a British crime thriller novelist, and I've read quite a few of her books. I always love them. This one did not disappoint. It takes place in three sort of different but intersecting timelines. Um, our, we are first introduced to one of our main characters, her name is Zoe. I think she's a young woman and her daughter, Tally, Tally is the name of this, but something with a T, Tallulah maybe, or Lula, um, goes missing and goes missing along with her boyfriend and they are young parents. They have a young son who they left behind. So that's one timeline. In another timeline, it's a year later and it's clear from the beginning that so far um, the, the body, the boys, <laughs> so far... The, the boy and the girl have not come back and sort of the, the ramifications of the town dealing with that, dealing with the missing, person, missing person's case. And then later, um, when a couple of years later, the case gets reopened and new details come into play. Um, but what's really cool about this is each, you know, look into the past sort of gives us clues into the present. And there's, doc it's, you know, it's just so tightly well written, um, despite it being, I think, almost 400 pages. So there is a lot to the plot, but never at any point did I feel like, oh my God, this is boring. I was like, I just, if anything, wanted to spend more time with these characters. I won't give away at the ending. I won't give away any details. I will say at times I felt I thought I knew where it was going. 
And while you may feel like you are confident in what is going to happen, it will definitely surprise you in certain ways. Um, So it deals with the themes of what it means to be a mother. Um, There's definitely a lot of psychological suspense while also um, exploring the different lives of these women and how they get involved with the case. Um, And there's a lot, you know, to that. I think Lisa Jewell is really great at showing um, the different characters and small town communities and really is, um, you know, a master of, you know, what you see is not always what you get. And everyone has a story, even if it's not the story you're necessarily looking for, it might have a piece to the one that you are. So that's definitely a light, despite it being, uh, you know, there is warning, there is sexual assault, there is violence, there is murder. I won't give away who, what, where, or when. um, But despite all that, it is somewhat lighter in the sense that it is escapist, um, just to forget your own problems, forget the world for a while, delve yourself um, into a small British town and the the mysteries that haunt it um, and what becomes unearthed. Speaking of mysteries and unearthed, um, next we have A Man Named Doll by Jonathan Ames. Jonathan Ames is an author that has been on my radar for a while, most notably um, because he helped write the TV show Bored to Death on HBO Max, which is where I first became familiar with him. Bored to Death is definitely one of those like under the radar, but so weird and quirky and irreverent and like probably couldn't be done today. It's definitely like reminiscent of its like mid to mid 2010s time, I believe. Um, I was really lucky to see Jonathan Ames and the stars of the show, Zach Galifianakis, Jason Schwartzman, and Ted Danson on a panel at Vulture Fest, where I also saw the cast of Always Sunny, and it was like one of the best days of my life. I still am like, I always say that that I didn't feel much of a religious experience at the Western Wall in Israel. However, I did feel a religious experience when I saw the cast of Always Sunny live and was like as close to Danny DeVito, maybe a little farther than I am from you in the camera now, but pretty close. Um, so Jonathan Ames is a, um, he's written a few other novels and I don't think I've read many of them, if any, honestly, until this one now, um, which came out recently. And um, A Man Named Doll is our main character, Happy Doll. Happy Doll is a hard-boiled noir detective living in present-day Los Angeles. When we meet him, we find out that he is down in Oregon. And I mean, I believe it's a liver um, because no, a kidney because you need two kidneys. And so one is taken from him. How and where and why and when? Again, another mystery how he got into that situation. I would say this is definitely much more of a character study with the traditional thriller elements, you know, taking that sort of noir detective Sherlock Holmes with the L.A. noir type vibe um, and putting him in a modern day Los Angeles like commentary where he's super deadbeat, but also super relatable. I mean, he there's elements of like the Stephen King pulp fiction novels to it. But again, with a little bit more of a realness and Jonathan Ames has a really great way of saying exactly what he needs to say. Um, This book is just a little over 200 pages and a lot happens, but you feel like you get a really complete story and it's definitely satisfactory. So for those who are deaf, you know, maybe not looking for something as long as the night she disappeared. You're looking for something, not necessarily, again, lighter, because this does deal with violence and murder and detective novels and whodunits, but a little, again, a little bit more of an in-depth character study into the life of a fictional detective in Los Angeles with a pretty compelling case and story behind him and with some, you know, really not to diss on Michael Connelly or anything like that, but, you know, some some more thought-out writing than sort of the traditional airport paperback thriller, then check out this one. Shifting from the detective novels and mode to a nonfiction memoir, um, Beautiful Country, a memoir by Kian Julie Wang. So Kian arrives in, and I hope I'm saying that right, um, she arrives in New York City in the early 90s and her fa- she was born in China and she's seven years old. So as you can imagine, it's crazy for 
a child of any age to leave their home country in promise of a better country. As you can also imagine, New York City during the early 90s. Uh, so, you know, this is about seven years before 9-11 was pretty crazy. There was a lot of immigrants coming in wanting a new opportunity. Um, so they start out living in Chinatown. Her parents work for sweatshops. They live in the sort of the way that she describes their living experiences, I think, is what really got me because, again, I become increasingly aware of my privilege being raised in upper middle class background and never really needing or wanting for anything. And then, you know, hearing the stories of young girls who grew up in, you know, they shared their, you know, their entire life was basically in this uh, a, a room the size of my bedroom now. And for them, like that was so much better even than what they left behind and their parents, the way that her their parents made so many sacrifices, um, particularly her mother and the way that that impacts her mother's physical health later in the memoir um, is something that I don't want to, again, give too much away. But the um, the way that her mother and her relationship changes, um, again, midway through the memoir, when she finds out that her mother is sick and Keon's um, perspective on what her childhood was and what she gave up, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of different family anecdotes that are probably not easy to share, but that are beautifully written and accessible without, you know, asking for any pity, but without also being too smug. It's just very real and matter of fact. And her story is definitely inspiring. I'm ex- I'm excited to see, you know, it's it has that coming of age novels and I'm sure it wasn't easy to revisit a lot of her past self. And I think it takes a lot of bravery to put that on the page. So the way that she also makes New York City in the early 90s and through her childhood, you know, it's really wonderfully depicted through the eyes of a child. You really feel like you are in her shoes despite lying in your couch and being a spoiled, privileged person in Los Angeles, you know, you feel that empathy and you really feel like you're there with her, which is what the best memoirs do. And speaking of memoirs, we have another one, um, but this is a unique memoir. It's called Three Girls from Bronzeville, a uniquely American memoir of race, fate, and sisterhood. So our main character, Don Turner, is a journalist and she has two important friends in her life. One is her younger sister, Kim, and one is her um, best friend, Deborah. And they all meet when Kim, is, I'm sorry, when Dawn is in about third grade. And so this story is taken from the perspective of Dawn now. And as the title states, it's about their uh, their sisterhood, but also the different paths that each woman took. I don't want to give away too much about them, um, but they are all very different in despite the fact that they all started from the same place and had very similar backgrounds, um, the way that small little factors in their lives and small decisions that they made made such large impacts on their present day life is really examined well. Um, not only does it's, you know, a lot of it is a memoir for Dawn's life and the way that she, um, these friendships and sisterhoods with her, both her actual sister and her sister by choice, um, the way that their choices impact her life um, is not only told from a beautifully written perspective, but also since Dawn is a journalist, um, she approaches it through a larger lens of what it's like to grow up in Chicago as a young black woman, what it's like to be there as, you know, with her parents. Again, there's a little bit of that sort of parents wanting the best for their children and only able to see them as fully fledged people from an adult perspective. Um, There's a lot of detail. There's a lot of, I mean, sociological, but also thoughtful and um, prosaic writing to this. It's definitely a little bit longer. It's around the 350, 330 page mark. But so much again happens in it. She has packed the lives of these three women um, and not only the lives of these three women, but also some larger uh, sociological and journalistic observations that makes for a really enriching, unique read. Um, and I'm excited to see what else comes from her next. 
And last but not least, we're going to end things on a little bit of a lighter note. We got two detective, you know, more darker, quote unquote, darker novels. I mean, still light for me, but, you know, darker to the to the everyday layperson. We have two memoirs that are also, you know, pretty deal with some pretty heavier stuff. And we're going to end with a fun one. We are going to end with If the Shoe Fits by Julie Murphy. Julie Murphy is a young adult author who has been on my radar ever since college, radar, radar ever since college when she published her first young adult novel, Dumplin', about a young, overweight girl who uh, wants to make it big in the pageant industry and is sort of like a big fuck you to her small town. And I love that book, um, mostly because there was a lot of anecdotes about a Dolly Parton drag bar and her connection to Dolly Parton. And that sort of like reignited, <laughs> not reignited, but like kind of got me more interested in Miss Parton. Um, and then they made it into a pretty good Netflix movie with Danielle, some, the girl who played... Patty Cakes, you know, whatever. Anyway, so she's written a couple other young adult novels, and I think I've read them, but this one I really enjoyed. It was called If uh, it's called If the Shoe Fits. It is a modern day take on the Cinderella story. Our main character, Cindy, she doesn't have an evil stepmother, but she does have stepsisters who she doesn't get along with the best. I mean, she's, you know, what she would consider quote unquote overweight. She's, you know, about a size 18, a size 20, which is definitely a little bit larger than the American, uh, the average American size. But I think what's great about the novel is it never, you know, pushes her to lose weight. She definitely is not super happy with her body. And there's a lot of, you know, um, the the plot of the novel is she, um, through some, you know, happenstance circumstances, ends up on a bachelor type show. And she's sort of the first plus size woman to go on it. And so there not only is the commentary about her body and love and image, but also, you know, her relationship with herself and her relationship um, with how her body holds her back or how her perceived image of what others think of her holds her back. Um, But it's all tied up in this really also kind of, you know, there's a lot of that sort of unreal lifetime, the lifetime now Hulu show, which I loved that sort of was the first to kind of expose, quote unquote, the behind the scenes producing and pulling of the strings of these reality shows. And I think that this book also does a really great job of poking fun at The Bachelor and those sort of reality shows in the behind the scenes while also keeping it grounded and keeping in mind that Cindy um, is not only an inspiration for everyone in the book, but also I think as a young girl who struggled with body images, if I had read this at 16 or 17, I mean, I enjoyed it just as much now at 27, but I think it's really great that these kinds of books are out there for younger women to read and understand that they don't have to fit the necessary mold. And then also just because, you know, you also don't have to go on a national TV for to, to learn to love and accept yourself, but that there are women out there who are treated just as equally and given a fair chance as, you know, quote unquote, straight size people. So we got all kinds of stuff for you in this episode. You know, we got darker, we got lighter, we got Cinderella, we got, uh, let me know, <laughs> we got, let me know. Uh, let me know as always what you're reading. Follow me on Goodreads, leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe there if you're not already. Like me on YouTube and subscribe there if you're not already. And until next time, stay reading. Bye. Bye.